one, two, three. All right. Hello, church. Good to see you all tonight. Let's all be standing, please. Let's begin to worship in song. All hail the power. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord, help all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord, of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's grace, she ransomed. is in you 
blessing to be here tonight. What we want to be sure happens is that everyone feels welcome here tonight. So why don't we take a few moments and greet those around us. Let me ask you to go ahead and take your places, please. I just have one announcement tonight, but that doesn't mean there's just one piece of news you need to know. I remind you again that every week we produce a little piece called News and Notes. It's at the Hub, and it gives you some of the uh, information about events happening this week, activities, uh, special classes... Uh, showers, things that you might want to know about. So get in the habit every Wednesday night of just going by the hub and picking up that little sheet and looking it over to see the things that you might want to know about. But we have one uh, church-wide announcement tonight, and that is that uh, in the month of October, we would be doing our next season of groups. And we're looking for some people to be group host in your home. We'd like you to go to the hub and sign up. Now, I'm particularly excited about October. We're going to try something we haven't tried yet, sermon-based small groups. We're doing this series called The Good and the Bad and the Ugly on the weekends, studying these wild, wonderful parables in Luke. All the month of October, for four weeks, I'm going to preach on the greatest story ever told, ever. The story in Luke 15 of the dad with the two rebellious boys. It is not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the prodigal sons. And we're going to spend a whole month on the greatest story ever told. So you're going to hear the sermon on the weekend, and then the following week in your small groups, uh, you're going to process the sermon with some special questions that I've prepared. Uh, and it's going to be a really, really rich time as a church. So I want you to get in a small group for October, and we'd like for some of you to host and lead that group. And you can go to the Hub and get an info sheet, learn more about it, and sign up. I think this is going to be one of our richest seasons ever in small groups. Uh, we're going to continue now our study in Abraham. Uh, I am more and more convinced as I've studied, particularly for the, the lessons the next two weeks, that you just got to know something about Abraham to appreciate Jesus. 
that over and over and over when the epistles write about understanding the depths of the gospel, they take you back to Abraham. And so we're going to be in Abraham chapter 13 in a moment, but we're going to praise the Lord some more. And before we do, let's ask the Lord's blessings on this evening. So, Father, we do come before you now in Jesus' name, believing that you are faithful to your promise to be present wherever we gather to seek you. Give us hearts to seek you tonight, God. And, Father, give us wisdom. Wisdom to understand what it means to have faith like Abraham and Sarah. Your word says, God, that Sarah was counted faithful because she counted you faithful. Help us, Father, just to begin to grasp what that statement means. That being faithful means living, believing you're faithful. Give us greater understanding, God. Of what life is like lived counting constantly on your faithfulness instead of our own strength and ingenuity. We are willing, Father, to be taught tonight. So speak to us through your word and through your servant in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord, ye heavens adore Him. Praise Him, angels in the high. Sun and moon rejoice before Him. Praise Him, all ye stars of light. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, for He has spoken. World's His mighty voice obey. Laws which never shall be broken, broken. for the guidance he hath made. Hallelujah. Amen. Beautiful. 
Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 13. I want to begin with a story that I almost hesitated to tell because I feared you would think that I have a real warped sense of humor. But then I realized that you already think I have a warped sense of humor, so what do I have to lose? The story actually comes from a book written by Lisa Rogak titled Death Warmed Over. It is a strange combination cookbook and sociological study of funeral meals and traditions. 
And she starts with this story of this dying man at home in bed. And he can smell coming up the stairs the aroma of his favorite treat, homemade chocolate chip cookies. And he has this thought, I've got to have one more cookie before I die. So with what little strength he has, he gets out of bed, literally rolls down the stairs, crawls into the kitchen and raises one trembling hand up on the counter about to grab a cookie when whack, he gets hit with a spatula and his wife says, put that back, they're for the funeral. (laughs) Now, I think that sums up the human condition, the idea that I could die happy if I just had one more cookie. And at some point, life says, no more cookies for you. Or as the poet put it so well, ask not for whom the spatula whacks, it whacks for thee. How many cookies do you need to be happy? Because sometimes the more you gain, the more you lose. And that's the main thing I want you to learn tonight as we contrast two believers with very, very different value systems. And so in chapter 13, we have seen that Abram has been humbled by his trip to Egypt, a trip he wished he had never made. And he has come back to the promised land. He's come back to Bethel where he has built an altar and he's called on the name of the Lord. But you will also remember that while he was in Egypt, Pharaoh had given him great amounts of treasure and livestock. The man who came back was worth a whole lot more than the man who went down. It says, verse 5, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, earlier in verse 2, it says that Abram had become very wealthy. This is the first mention in the Bible of wealth. And I think it's significant that the very next thing that happens after the Bible mentions wealth is a story about quarreling, about possessions. You see, evidently Lot had shared in Abram's Egyptian bonanza. Now think about it. Everything that Lot has is due to Abram. And the old patriarch was clearly within his rights to declare, we got a problem and this is how it's going to be. It was the custom of that day. He was the elder. He was the patriarch. He was the leader of the family. Everything Lot had was because of Abram. 
And so Abram could have said, and no one would have disagreed or had a problem with Abram just saying, we got a problem, and this is how it's going to be. And instead, Abram chose to be a peacemaker. It reminds me, uh, you've heard the name of Dr. H.A. Ironside, great old scholar and preacher from the last century. He says when he was a little boy, a story shaped his life he'll never forget. His mom took him to church, some kind of a meeting at church, and these two leading men at church got into such an argument, the little boy wondered if they were going to hit each other. And this one boy kept shouting, I don't care what you say or do, I will have my rights. There was an old man in the church. He was partially deaf. Ironside said he put his hand to his ear, cupped it, and said, Your rights? Is that what you said, brother? You want your rights? Brother, if you had your rights, you'd be in hell. The Lord Jesus didn't come to get his rights. He came to get his wrongs, and he got them. Abram didn't stand up for his rights. And I wonder what motivated this kind of generosity. And I'm suggesting three possibilities, and I think they were probably all a part of the reason. One was he put family ahead of fortune. He said, we're brothers. Relationships are more important than rights. Lot, you and I are all we got. Everyone else is gone from the old country. You and I are all we've got. And our relationship is more important than rights. I think another factor was his concern about the impact of their quarrel on their pagan neighbors, because notice the author felt it important to add after he said, they're having a big quarrel. Oh, and the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at this time. Now, I don't think Abram was worried that if they didn't stop their quarreling, that the Canaanites and Perizzites would say, hey, this is a good time to attack them. They're having inner strife. No, there's no suggestion when Lot moved away that Abram was ever worried about his safety around those neighbors. I think instead... Abram was concerned about the image of his God. Now, remember what had happened in Egypt. He had tarnished the reputation of his God by his actions. How can you listen to what a man's got to say about his God when you can't even believe what he says about his wife? And I think one of the pledges that Abram made at that altar at Bethel is, God, never again will I live in such a way that pagan people are embarrassed to know about the God I worship. None of this lot. Look at our neighbors. I think we all need to remember that any time brothers quarrel, the image of God is heard among the pagans. And then I think third and most of all, Abram had learned from his recent mistake down in Egypt to trust God for his provision. He had learned from his Egyptian episode not to live by the popular rules of economic reason. You see, what he did down in Egypt made perfect sense in the popular realm. Hey, there's a drought. The Nile's a big river. Go live by the Nile. And he had learned from his mistake. 
So now he's up in the land, and economic reasons said, hey, you're the boss, pick the best pasture for yourself. But Abram said, you know, I'm not living by that kind of thinking anymore. That's how I thought back in Ur before the glory of the Lord appeared to me. From now on, God will be my provision. So he comes to his nephew and he says, listen, as long as I stay in this land, I don't care what part of it I stay in. So you choose the part you want the most. And here is where we will see the difference in these two believers. Let's look at verse 10. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. By the way, did you notice the text says nothing about Lot seeking the counsel of God before he made his decision? Lot had gotten a taste of the good life down in Egypt. I don't know his financial portfolio when he went to Egypt, but I know what it was like when he came back. He was rich, and he liked it. He had tasted the good life, and he was hungry for more. And so it says he looked up, and he looked up, it says, to seek prosperity. That land over there, he noticed, to the east. Why, that land reminds me of Egypt. It says he saw the land. Now, please understand that what Moses is saying when he uses that word is the same thing that he was saying back in Genesis earlier when it says Eve saw the fruit. It doesn't just mean that with the physical eye she noticed it. It means she wanted it. It's the same thing that the author means when it says David was up on his roof and he saw a woman bathing. It doesn't mean just that he noticed her. It means he wanted her. Lot saw the land to the east was like Egypt. He saw the profitableness of the region, not the wickedness of it. He didn't see a place that was marked for judgment. He saw a place made for advancement. Now, he knew the reputation. Because that kind of word gets around. And he knew that the men there were wicked. But it looked to him like the price was worth it. It was decision based purely on sight. He did not consider the cost it would be to his peace of mind. He did not consider the cost it would be to his family. And by the way, the great irony of this story is this. If Lot's great desire was to experience blessing, do you know the best way he could have got blessing? Bless Abraham. Because God had said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. But Lot wasn't thinking, how can I bless Abraham? Lot was thinking, how can Lot bless Lot? He never seemed 
to grasp the secret of Abram's success. You see, it wasn't Abram's residence. It was his obedience. The reason Abram was wealthy and the reason Abram was favored and the reason Abram prospered wasn't because he lived in the pasture with the best river and the best well. It was because he lived where God told him to go. It was his obedience, not his particular residence, that was the source of his blessing. And Lot, for all of the qualities you could admire about the man, never seemed to understand that. But I want you to notice how the author is going to contrast how Lot looked up and saw prosperity to what God told Abram to do. Verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. By the way, you never read of Lot one time building an altar to the Lord. Did you notice what God said to do to Abram? He said, I want you to look. Notice, I want you to look to the north. I want you to look to the south. I want you to look to the east. I want you to look to the west. Where did Lot go? Lot had gone off to the east. God says, look over to the east. You look over to the place Lot chose. I'm giving it to you. What's he saying? He's saying, Abram, you haven't lost anything. You're thinking, I've lost some of the land? And I've lost the only family I had. No, Abram, you haven't lost any of the land. And you haven't lost any of your hope for family. Because I am going to make your descendants like the dust of the earth. Because, Abram, my word is mightier than man's vision. And so, Abraham looked up to see a promise. God told him to walk through the land as if he was already in possession of it. Now here's the irony. In his lifetime, he would never be in possession of it. He would never see with the physical eye the possession of the land. But by faith, he could see it already. And as he would walk through that land, length and breadth, pitching his tent, building an altar... Pitching a tent, building an altar. He was by faith claiming the land for his descendants that haven't even been born yet. The reality of that promise 
would always be more real to Abram than the pressure of the present. And in this regard, here's what I want you to see. Abram and Lot represent two very different kind of believers. Now, we're not going to turn there, but over in 2 Peter chapter 2, the apostle refers to Lot as he talks about the coming judgment. And he refers to Lot living in wicked Sodom. And three times he calls Lot a righteous man. Now remember that about Lot. Lot was a a moral man who believed in God. But what do we remember about Lot? Some believers are remembered for all that they gained. And some are remembered for losing a lot. Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, now we're all building a house. Some of us are using gold and silver and some of us are using hay and straw. And someday when the great judgment comes and the Lord burns up all that is temporal, some of us are going to lose a lot. We'll be saved like Lot, as if by fire. But we will not be rewarded. You see, the eyes have it. Another cookie story. This was in Reader's Digest. A woman says she was at the airport and she stopped at one of those little stores to buy a bag of cookies for her flight. And so she goes to pick up a paper and she sits down to wait for the flight to take off. A few moments later, she hears a rustling noise and she looks and there the man beside her has opened up a sack of cookies and he's eating them. And she can't believe what he's doing. So claiming her turf, she reaches over and grabs a cookie and begins to eat it. But she notices a couple minutes later, he has grabbed another cookie, and he's eaten it. And so she grabs another one, and this goes on for a few minutes. Finally, there's just one cookie left. This guy reaches in, breaks it in half, and pushes the other half toward her. She cannot believe this guy. She is incensed. The call comes for her flight. She goes, she gets on the plane, she sits down, she reaches into the purse to get out a pen to do the crossword puzzle, and she sees in her purse her unopened bag of cookies. (laughs) Some of us can't even see what we have because we're so busy focusing on what we might be losing if we don't join the world that was Lot's problem he couldn't see what he had in relation to Abram the man of promise he could only see what the world offered this text this week brought to my mind a scripture and brought into clearer focus a scripture I've read all my life I want to read it to you now it's in Matthew chapter 6 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will be, hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, did you ever wonder, why does Jesus, in the middle of talking about money, start talking about the eye? He talks about having treasure in heaven, not on earth. And he says this weird thing about the eye. Then he starts talking about money again. Do you see now that what Jesus was saying is that you don't, you don't tell if a man has a money problem by looking at his wealth, but by looking at his eyes. The eye is your value system. The eye is what guides you and influences your decisions. The eye is what you perceive as most valuable and important. So if the eye is messed up, then the heart and everything else is polluted. Lot had an eye for the things of the world. And his life evidenced what I call the gravity principle. And all of you remember in your junior high science class, the gravity principle. The bigger the world, the stronger the pool. The larger the world is, is in your eyes the stronger its pull on you you see the pull in lot's life you notice in verse 10 it says that he saw the region towards sodom and then it says in the next verse he chose for himself that reason then it says in the next verse he pitched his tent near sodom But then in the next chapter, in verse 12, it's going to say he was living in Sodom. In fact, he'll be taken captive when a king comes along and captures the city. And then you get to chapter 19, verse 1. It says he was sitting in the gateway of Sodom, which meant he had become a leading figure in the city. And then in verse 16 of that same chapter later, as the angels announce judgment on the city and they say to Lot, get your family out of here now, it actually says, because at this point, the pull of the world was so strong in his life that even though he knows these are angels speaking to him because of the miracle of the night before, it says he hesitated. They had to grab him by the arms and drag him out of the place marked for the judgment of God. A lot may have been righteous in position, but he was carnal in character. There's a reason he is never mentioned 
in Hebrews chapter 11 among the people that walked by faith, not by sight. Here's the moral. The carnal believer loses a lot more than he ever gains. Let me just close by reminding you how he lost a lot. First, he lost the cover of the blessing of Abraham. Second, he lost his peace of mind. Because Peter talks about how he was constantly distressed by the wickedness around him. In fact, 2 Peter 2.8 from the message reads, Surrounded by moral rot day after day after day, the righteous man was in constant torment. Who cares how big your house is and how much your bedroom furniture costs if you can't go to sleep? He lost the blessing of Abraham. He lost his peace of mind. He lost his ability to influence his neighbors. Because when he tried to warn them of the judgment of God, they laughed at him. They knew Lot, the guy that would do anything for a buck. Most of all, he lost his family. This story makes me sad because I I can't tell you how many times I've seen the long-term consequence of a man who never thought the impact of his rush for wealth would have on his family. Taking them to places where there wasn't a strong church. Taking them into a lifestyle where there wasn't a community of faith. His two girls married men of Sodom. It never dawned on them to marry a man that would worship Yahweh because I don't think they thought their dad cared about Yahweh that much. His two sons-in-law thought so little of their father-in-law that when he warned them of judgment, they laughed. His own wife became so in love with the world She disobeyed the direct instruction of God and looked back at where her heart still was. The last picture of Lot in Genesis is this. He's an old, poor, scared man living in a cave with his two daughters whom he has impregnated after they got him drunk. That's what I call losing a lot. And while he will be in heaven, there is a reason No one names their sons after him. Now, friends, nobody suddenly becomes carnal. 
It happens over time as we neglect our eye exams. Let me show you this picture that some of you might recognize. It's by Norman Rockwell, one of America's greatest painters. You see the front of an urban cathedral. Above the doors there are these magnificent frescoes and pictures of the apostles and the martyrs with the Lord Jesus Christ himself in the center, seated at the right hand of God. The doves in an upward flight as if to signify the path to heaven. But now look at the faces of all the people on the street staring at their feet, going their way, consumed by the worries of the world. And here's the great irony, you can't see it there. But the pastor there is giving instruction to a worker to put the title of his Sunday message up on the board. And the title, Lift Up Thine Eyes. Rockwall's making a statement. Look at all we are losing because our eyes are bad. And so, the challenge tonight from me to you is to lift up your eyes. In fact, I'd like you to stand now. A moment ago, you sang, I will lift my eyes to the throne. Now I would like us to sing together a song with a similar phrase and think about the words as we worship. I lift my hands to thank you. I lift my eyes to gaze upon your spirit. I lift my voice to offer you praise dear Lord. But most of Do something for me. Just for a moment, lift your eyes. And just take a moment and ask God to help you see all the riches you have in Christ that you never need to trade for the porridge of the world. Just take a moment, lift up your eyes and ask God to help you see how rich you are.
Can you see it? Can you see the glory of heaven? Can you see the throne? Can you see eternal life? We need eye exams every now and then. So this week, lift up those eyes. Remember who you are. We'll continue to praise, and as we finish the song, if you need to be baptized into Christ, come down right now to the front as we worship. I lift my hands to thank you. I lift my eyes to gaze upon your spirit. I lift my voice to offer you praise, dear Lord. But most of all, I lift my heart. Oh, dear Lord. Remain standing, please. Uh, Brett Stewart and Cammie Devers here soon are going to become husband and wife, but first they're going to become brother and sister. So while they're getting ready to be baptized, let's sing again that song just before the message. Uh, you are worthy of my praise. I will lift up my eyes to your throne. I will worship, I will worship with all of my heart.
be seated, church. Church, this is Brett Stewart and his soon-to-be wife, Cammie Devers. They are getting married this weekend, but before they did that, they wanted to start their lives off together uh, by making sure that their lives were also with God. And so I'm going to ask you guys, yeah. Uh, I've known you guys for a couple months now, and I'm going to ask you the most important question you'll ever be asked. Uh, The second, I'll ask you this weekend, but this one. um, Do you believe, Brett, that Jesus is the Son of God, and are you willing to follow Him for the rest of your life? Yes, I am. Then based on that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. question, Cammie. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and are you willing to follow Him all your life? I am. And based on that confession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Don't forget to sign up for small groups for October. We hope some of you will consider leading and hosting in your homes. I think it is going to be a really rich study. Would you stand now? Let me give you this closing blessing. There is that which is eternal, and there is that which is temporary. May God give you the eyes to see the difference. Amen. My eyes.